0: Method and Madness is a true crime podcast dealing with events of violence that may be disturbing to some. Listener discretion is advised. An astonishing story of lies, betrayal, and the lengths that evil will go to hide the truth. A cold, cowardly killer with no remorse, eager to move on with his life. This is Method and Madness, episode five, not that good of an actor. I'm your host, Don Gandhi. A young woman found murdered in her friend's apartment, a victim of sexual assault. A man on the run and a massive hunt to find him. But it wasn't what it seemed. Something much more diabolical was happening here. Let's dive in. It's a tale that is told in history books and a motive that will outlive us all comfort killers or gain killers, those who murder for financial gain or to secure a more comfortable lifestyle. In past centuries, it may have been a pirate raiding a ship. In the late 19th century, there was Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, one of America's first serial killers, who was convicted and hanged for his crimes of murder for profit. Holmes was a fraud and a scam artist who would lure his victims, mostly women, To what was known as the murder castle. More modern takes may look like what's known as a black widow, a woman poisoning her husband over time in order to benefit from his life insurance. Today's case takes us to Orange County, California, May of 2010. Yep, the OC. Home to more than three million residents, perfect beach weather, tourist attractions, Knott's Berry Farm, Disneyland. And there in sunny California, we have the city of Irvine, home to Jerry Kibuishi, known as Julie, a 23-year-old dancer and student at Orange Coast Community College in nearby Costa Mesa. Julie was born on February 14, 1987, and was known to her mother as her Valentine girl. Julie was a lover of music and fashion and was always dancing, always singing, had a lust for life and a goofy sense of humor. She was the third child of four born to June and Massa and was living at home while attending school. At school, Julie met fellow classmate 26-year-old Sam Hare, an Army veteran. Sam who had just completed a tour of duty in Afghanistan for Operation Enduring Freedom was described by family and friends as a big lovable guy that would help out anyone in need. Sam was in college in order to get his degree and re-enlist in the Army as an officer. He was also trying to deal with some PTSD symptoms from being in Afghanistan. Before long, Sam and Julie became close friends. Julie tutored him in anthropology and they had a brotherly-sisterly relationship, not a romantic one. Sam lived at the Camden Martinique Apartments located on Pine Creek Drive in Costa Mesa, California. A modern complex with a resort-like feel, equipped with a gym and an outdoor pool, Surrounded by palm trees. Julie was very close to her family, and on Friday, May 21st, 2010, she met her brother Taka for dinner at a Thai restaurant to discuss plans for his upcoming wedding. She was a bridesmaid. When she received a text from her friend Sam, he needed someone to talk to, letting her know that he had some family issues and asked her to come by his apartment at midnight and to come alone. His text indicated he was in a pretty bad place mentally. Julie responded that she was there for him and would see him later. After their dinner and some good conversation, Julie and her brother parted ways. She drove off wearing a tiara that he gave her to wear at his wedding. Julie promised she would text him when she got to Sam's apartment. It was just before midnight when she arrived outside Sam's apartment, and she sent Taka a text to let him know she was safe. The next morning, Saturday, May 22, 2010, Julie's mom, June, noticed that her daughter wasn't home and it looked like she hadn't slept in her bed, so she began texting and calling her. June also got in touch with some of Julie's friends to see if anyone had heard from her. They hadn't, and friends began calling and texting Julie as well. Nobody was getting any responses. Meanwhile, around the same time that the Kibuishis were getting concerned, Sam Hare's father, Steve, and Mother Raquel began to grow worried when they hadn't heard from Sam. Sam had a close relationship with his parents and was supposed to spend the weekend with them, but hadn't shown up. By the afternoon of that Saturday, Steve grew increasingly alarmed when he tried calling Sam and realized that his phone was off, something out of character for his son. He had last heard from Sam the day before, that Friday around noon. Call it a gut instinct or a father's intuition, Steve got in his car and drove to Sam's apartment. He knocked. No answer. Using the spare key he had on him, Steve unlocked the apartment door and entered, unsure what he would find. And, to his horror, he found the body of a young woman lying face down on Sam's bed. She had a tiara on her blood-soaked head, her pants were off, and on the back of her shirt someone had written, all yours, fuck you. It looked like she'd been sexually assaulted. Steve called 911 immediately. There's a body in my son's apartment, a dead body. The operator asked Steve if he was sure, to which he confirmed his voice in a panic. He told the operator that he didn't know who she was or what was going on. He also said it looked as if there had been some sort of sexual activity and that he had touched the cheek of the woman and it was cold. Now breaking down in tears just completely panicked, Steve began talking to someone in the background, despite telling the operator there was nobody else in the apartment. He was heard on the call saying, Jake, please just go. As the operator prompted him, asking him who he was talking to, Steve replied that it was one of his son's friends who must have stopped by to see Sam or maybe to help locate him. Steve then ended the call to dispatch abruptly, saying he didn't need the operator to stay on the line. Police arrived on the scene shortly after. It was confirmed, of course, a woman was dead in Sam Hare's bedroom. A gunshot wound to her head. Police identified her by looking through her purse and her phone. Julie Kibuishi, just 23 years old. A murdered woman in a man's apartment, the resident, well, where he was nobody knew. Julie's cell phone just may hold some answers, so police start going through her phone trying to figure out how did Sam know the victim, what had happened here, and to hopefully gain insight into where Sam may have gone. Texts on Julie's phone started to fill in some of the missing pieces. There was a text from Sam Hare to her at 2.45 p.m. the day before that Sam was helping out a friend, Dan Wozniak. Texts for later that afternoon contained an exchange between Julie and Sam that he was in need of someone to talk to and that she would come to help him through his problems. Now, it seemed to police at this point that Sam and Julie had been a couple. Something went terribly wrong, and Sam murdered Julie. It was time to find Sam. Police released a photo of Sam Hare and gave a description of his vehicle, which was not found at the apartment complex where he lived. Local news asked the public for their help in finding him. In their hunt, police also discovered that Sam had once been a defendant in a trial in 2002 for connection to a murder, He had been acquitted, but this gave law enforcement even more confidence that Sam needed to be found. Police spoke with Sam's friends and neighbors, including a young, engaged couple that lived downstairs from him, Daniel Wozniak, age 27, this is the man that Sam was helping out the day before, and Rachel Buffett, 25. They were two community theater actors that knew both Sam and Julie. They told police that they had last seen Sam the day before, that Friday, when he had stopped by their apartment with a man they didn't know, and that the man was wearing a black cap. They had no insight into where Sam might be. Sam's father, Steve, was desperate to find his son at this point and started doing his own investigation of sorts, looking into Sam's bank activity, to see if he could figure out when his son had last used his ATM card and where. Sure enough, Steve saw some recent activity in Long Beach, about 25 miles from Sam's home in Costa Mesa. Steve cooperated with the police, informing them of Sam's ATM activities. There had been four recent cash withdrawals in the area of Long Beach, and police reviewed the ATM's surveillance cameras, hoping to get a good look at who was making the withdrawals. What they saw was disappointing. It was definitely not Sam, but what appeared to be a teenage boy in a hoodie, And so far, he had taken out $1,900 from Sam's account. And then on Wednesday, May 26th, four days after the body of Julie was found in Sam's apartment, the bank contacted Steve Hare and let him know Sam's ATM card was being used at that very moment at a pizza place nearby. Police contacted the restaurant where the pizza was ordered, and they were able to obtain the address of where it was being delivered and headed for that house. They brought in SWAT teams in tactical gear, prepared to find fugitive Sam Hare hiding out in the house. Inside, they found the teenager that they had seen on the ATM surveillance footage. 17-year-old Wesley Fralick, who lived at the residence. Wesley was taken in handcuffs, and police searched the house, looking for Sam. But there were no signs of him inside. What police did find, however, was Sam's ATM card. Police questioned Wesley eager to know how he became in possession of the card. A very nervous Wesley was forthcoming with the police, and he told them that an older man that his mom knew through the local community theater had reached out to him, asking for Wesley's help. It was Dan Wozniak, the man who lived in the apartment under Sam Hare's apartment. So Wozniak had asked for Wesley's help in withdrawing some money, telling him that Sam Hare was in debt to a bail bondsman and needed an anonymous person to withdraw money from Sam's account. Wozniak told Wesley that what he was asking him was completely legal, but advised the teen to wear something that would conceal his face when using the ATM. With each withdrawal, Wesley handed the cash over to Wozniak. Other than that, police had no reason to believe that Wesley had anything to do with Julie's murder or that he had any connection to Sam Hare. Next, police hunted down Dan Wozniak, who was planning his beach wedding for that Friday, May 28th. They called his cell phone and said they needed to speak to him. Wozniak told police that he couldn't talk currently. He was at his bachelor party at a restaurant with friends. So police went to the restaurant and crashed the party. Tsunami's Sushi Restaurant in nearby Huntington Beach. There, in a private party room. They arrested the groom-to-be. And brought him down to the police station on the basis of the credit card scheme and the connection to a man that was wanted for murder. While being questioned by police, Wozniak, in a blue Hawaiian shirt, admitted that he and Sam Hare were, were in fact, involved in a credit card scam. The deal was that they'd have Wesley withdraw the money. In turn, Sam would report his ATM card stolen and get a refund from the bank. When asked about Sam's whereabouts, Wozniak reiterated what he told police the day that Julie's body was found, that Sam had stopped by Wozniak's apartment on Friday the 21st with a man in a black cap. Wozniak was also asked where he was the night of Friday the 21st. He told police that he was an actor at a local community theater and had performed that night, in the musical Nine, co-starring with his fiancée Rachel. He had then gone home and went to bed shortly after, They were both awoken in the middle of the night by knocking and went to their door to see their neighbor, Sam. Now, this is where the story starts to change. Sam was in a panic and told Wozniak that he had been doing some heavy drugs and, in a spontaneous moment of rage, had shot someone, and there was a dead body upstairs in his apartment, and that he had to get the hell out of there. Apparently, Sam had also told Wozniak that the woman he shot, quote, had it coming. So what happened next? Well, according to Wozniak, Sam then threatened him and his fiancee, Rachel, and ordered Wozniak to drive him and drop him off somewhere. Wozniak suggested bringing him to the mall and drove him to a local shopping area and claimed that was the last he saw of him. It was at this point that Wozniak admitted that the man in the black cap was made up, and Wozniak apologized to the police for lying. Next, police pulled out a swab and told Wozniak that they were going to take a saliva sample from him to eliminate him as a suspect in Julie's murder. A visibly nervous Wozniak complied, and once the swabbing of the inside of his mouth was complete, he offered up an explanation for why they may find his DNA somewhere, that he had been in Sam's apartment on Friday, May 21st, and had used the bathroom and possibly he had gone out to the patio, but he couldn't remember. Police started tightening their grip on Wozniak. Remember, he had already admitted that he lied to them once. His story was getting more and more detailed and lacking in common sense as time went on. Finally, police informed Wozniak that he was under arrest for accessory to murder. Wozniak went into full-on panic mode. The realization that he is not going to get married in two days sets in. At the very least at this point, Wozniak admitted he helped Sam after he murdered Julie. Wozniak was forthcoming on that at this point. The story had changed so much since Wozniak simply saying he saw Sam leave his own apartment with a man in a cap, police had him. So Lieutenant Ed Everett implored Wozniak to tell them the truth and told him, you're not that good of an actor. Now that Wozniak had a sample of his DNA taken, his story, of course, changed again. Now he's really sweating and the story has evolved into Sam coming to Wozniak asking for help. Wozniak goes upstairs and sees the body with two bullet wounds. It was this admission that solidified the suspicions police had. They were only aware of one gunshot. It wasn't until later that the autopsy revealed that Julie had indeed been shot twice. Police weren't having it, and Wozniak was fed up, so he requested to go back to his cell. He was allowed to make a call to Rachel Buffett. In that recorded call, more damning evidence. Buffett informed Wozniak, Wozniak on this recorded phone call that neither of them were aware of being recorded. Buffett informs him she had just spoken to her fiance's brother, Tim, and that there was a backpack of evidence at his parents' house. She wasn't sure what was going on. All she knew at this point was that Tim had something, but she didn't know what, and she asked Wozniak what he did. When Wozniak realized that now Rachel knew more than he thought, he sounded completely defeated. Rachel told him she needed to call the detectives and let them know what Tim had told her. Wozniak sort of, like, half-heartedly pleads for her not to at this point. Turns out, Wozniak had given his brother Tim a backpack full of incriminating evidence, including Sam's wallet and the gun used to kill both him and Julie. Tim threw the backpack over a fence at his parents' house, not knowing what was in it, but he was, you know, just going along with his brother's request. After his call to Buffett, realizing that she was going to be calling the detectives, Wozniak requested to talk with police again, and moments later, he's back in the interrogation room, elbows on the table and hands clasped below his chin. He began with, I'm crazy and I did it. I killed Julie and I killed Sam. He told police that his motive for killing Sam was money and insanity. He then started to laugh in what sounded like a bad impression of the Joker. He explained how he told Sam that he needed his help at the theater moving boxes. They drove over that Friday afternoon and while in the attic of the theater, Wozniak had told Sam to bend down and lift something up. When he did, Wozniak shot him in the head. At this point, Sam wasn't even aware that he was shot and said something to Wozniak about being hit by something like an electric shock and asked Wozniak for help. Wozniak shot him a second time and left his body in the attic of the theater. And now, in another disturbing move, Wozniak went on to perform in the musical Nine at that same theater that night, he murdered someone in the attic, his friend, and then got into a costume and sang and acted his despicable heart out on a stage to a live audience, and made small talk with his cast backstage, and did a curtain call. His fiancée was right there with him playing his leading lady. But anyway, back to his confession to the police. After the murder on Friday afternoon, Wozniak had stolen Sam's phone and started texting Julie before his performance. He was posing as Sam and began asking Julie for her help and for her to come over that Friday night at midnight after Wozniak would be done with his performance on stage. Wozniak met Julie outside of Sam's apartment around midnight on Friday and told her Sam had been texting him as well, asking for help with a problem. He had a key and let them both into Sam's apartment. Nervous, Wozniak went to the bathroom and loaded his gun. When he came out into the hallway, he asked Julie if she had seen something in Sam's bed and told her to go into the bedroom, bend over, and take a closer look. When Julie did so, Wozniak shot her twice in the back of the head. He then posed her body, wrote on the back of her shirt, and set it up to look like a domestic violence situation. The next day, Wozniak returned to the theater with a saw and an axe, went up to the attic, and started to dismember Sam. He cut off his head, his hands, and a forearm, leaving his torso in the attic. He then drove to El Dorado Park, where he disposed of the body parts. Wozniak told police during his confession, Sam is decapitated. He's at the military base. The body parts are in the nature center in El Dorado Park. I decapitated the body so it wouldn't be found. After disposing of Sam's body parts, Wozniak went on to perform again that Saturday night in the musical Nine. After Wozniak's confession, sure enough, police found Sam's torso in the attic of the Liberty Theater at the Los Alamitos Joint Forces Training Base. His head was found in El Dorado Park on May 29th, Sam's birthday. His body had to be sewn back together for his family to give him, their only child, a proper burial. So, of course, the big question is why? What was the motive? Wozniak, who was described by friends and fellow actors as outgoing and charming, was unemployed, couldn't hold down a job and owed a lot of money to both debt collectors and friends and was on the verge of being evicted from his apartment, not to mention just a week away from an extravagant wedding and honeymoon cruise. Sam had told Wozniak that he had $62,000 saved up from combat pay. Wozniak saw this as his way to pay for his wedding and honeymoon, but then he needed to explain Sam's absence. He concocted a plan to make it look like Sam had fled after murdering someone in his apartment. Mutual friend Julie was the decoy. Two friends murdered so that Dan Wozniak could pay his bills. Two friends that most likely would have helped him out if he had just asked. Now Wozniak was charged for two counts of first-degree murder, and it would take another five years for the trial after many delays in court proceedings. While preparing the case for Wozniak's double murder trial, police started zeroing in on his fiancée, Rachel Buffett. When initially questioned regarding Sam Hare's disappearance on May 22nd, both Wozniak and Buffett told police that they had seen Sam with that man in the black hat. Obviously, Buffett saw no such person as he didn't exist, and police were suspicious of her as well. She was questioned and then ultimately, on November 10, 2012, Rachel was called in to speak with a detective and upon her arrival was arrested for three felony counts of accessory to murder. Her attempt to back Wozniak and throwing Sam Hare under the bus had not gone unnoticed. There was never any indication, however, that Buffett knew of any of the planning of the murders beforehand. Finally, after a long-awaited trial prosecuted by Senior Deputy District Attorney Matt Murphy and heartbreaking testimonies from Sam's and Julie's families, Daniel Wozniak, who had pled not guilty, was convicted of both murders on December 16, 2015, and was later sentenced to death. Rachel Buffett was convicted on two counts of being an accessory after the fact in connection to the two murders. On November 8, 2018, she was sentenced to 32 months in the county jail. Buffett has never taken responsibility for her part in covering up her ex-fiance's crimes and puts all the blame on him, calling herself a victim as well. She claims she was lied to and manipulated by Wozniak throughout their entire relationship. There are so many disturbing, frustrating aspects of this case. Wozniak couldn't even look his victims in the face when he killed them, He ordered them both to turn away and bend over. He knew they trusted him. He was too much of a coward to look them in the eye and break that trust. He didn't want to see the look in their eyes when they realized what was about to happen. Not only did he murder two of his friends and rob them each of a full life, he stole the most important things from their families. The parents of both victims have given such heartfelt, heart-wrenching testimonies and interviews about the love they have for their children, how much they miss them, and their hurt is so evident when they speak of all that they will miss out on. Steve Hare describes his son Sam as his best friend. June Kibuishi hopes to one day see her daughter again in heaven. Julie's brother Taka beats himself up, wishing he had stopped his sister from going to Sam's apartment that fateful night. He performed twice in the midst of all that he had done. He went on to his bachelor party. The lack of emotion or guilt from Dan Wozniak is is really unbelievable. Some sources define a serial killer as someone who murders three people at different times. Other sources define it as two murders. Based on the evidence in this case and the behaviors displayed by Dan Wozniak before, during, and after the murders, I think it's highly likely that if he hadn't been caught, Wozniak would have killed again. What if his plan had worked? What if he was more careful? Ultimately, he simply wasn't careful, and Wozniak's motive motive was his demise. He thought he needed to kill to get financial gain. He wasn't murdering for the bloodlust or for a sexual element. Without financial gain, he wouldn't be able to pay what he owed for his wedding. He wouldn't be able to keep up the charade to his fiance that he was a successful man and would make a good husband. He had been lying to her about jobs he had, money he had saved. He couldn't continue the lies. He would eventually be found out as a fake, a phony to his friends and family. So he needed to kill Sam to get the money. What led him right away to the police was the credit card activity, the financial gain, his motive but if it hadn't been the credit card trail leading to him, then a number of other things would have eventually led to him. I remember as a kid coming to the realization that a liar gives too many details. Wozniak didn't just give too many details in his attempt to cover up what he had done. He created too many complications. Let's look at the facts of the case and break it down for a moment. As hard as it is to ignore... Let's ignore all of the physical evidence that he is surely left by hiding part of Sam's body in the attic of a theater that Wozniak was connected to. Let's ignore the physical evidence he left in Sam's apartment where he murdered Julie. Let's ignore the bag-o evidence on his parents' property. I know I'm, I'm asking a lot, but hear me out. Any of that alone would have done him in eventually, forensically speaking. But even more simply and less scientifically, Wozniak made so many mistakes that it's a wonder he even intended to get away with the two murders at all. He invented the man in the black cap, presumably so that police wouldn't connect Wozniak as being the last person that was in contact with Sam. But when Wozniak was arrested for the credit card activity, he had to admit to police that the man in the hat was a lie. It it doesn't make sense in the new narrative that he was scrambling to write in that interrogation room. Why would he have Sam's ATM card unless Sam was still alive and the two had hatched the scam together? He has to pretend he's in on the scam with Sam. If Sam isn't an active participant, then Wozniak is in deep trouble. Now that he's admitted he lied once about the man in the cap, anything he says to police is going to be met with skepticism. He's done himself in. Even if the police were inept and brought his BS story about he and Sam hatching a money scam and that Sam took off. Police knew they can't believe anything he has to say. And as he continued to come up with lies and change his story, he still thought he was smarter than everyone else in that room. So the man in the black cap was a mistake. Another huge mistake was asking an acquaintance to withdraw the money. He had to know that any bank activity can easily be traced to locations, locations can lead to the person using the ETM card, and that person can and did identify Wozniak. Was he so blinded by his mission and getting to the end result that he got sloppy with the most important details? It can be argued that he was never anything but sloppy with all of the details, and killing Julie, it added more complications, gave him more things to have to cover up with more roads leading back to him. Let's say by an enormous stretch of the imagination that Wozniak was able to pull this all off and Sam was still a fugitive in law enforcement's mind, then it's a fair assumption that Dan Wozniak would have struck again. Eventually, the money would have run out. He's not going to straighten out his life and get a job. If he could have done that, if he could have held a job and became financially stable, he would have done that instead of murdering his friends. It seems that Wozniak really simplified what it was to get away with murder. He actually didn't have a chance in hell of getting away with it. Julie Kibuishi was cremated wearing the tiara her brother gave her the night she died. Her urn is kept in her mother's bedroom. Sam Hare was buried at Riverside National Cemetery. His service was a hero's burial with full military honors. Wozniak is awaiting the death penalty at San Quentin. California has not executed an inmate since 2006. Thank you for listening to Method and Madness. If you like the podcast, go ahead and leave a review wherever you listen. Every review really does help. You can find me on Twitter at MethodPod and on Instagram at MethodandMadnessPod. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please email me at methodandmadnesspod at gmail.com. Method and Madness is a true crime podcast dealing with dark and disturbing subject matter. For crisis support, text HELLO to 741-741.